And now, for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, but five, or five. Hello, and welcome back to the Force 5 podcast, which is now officially one year old. Ha <laughs> ha, you're old. According to listennotes.com, Force 5 is in the top 3% of podcasts globally, and I'd like to take a second to thank everybody who listens and interacts with me. It has been a really, really fun year of learning and trying to improve my craft. Recently, I've been approached by some sponsors and some podcast networks, and so far I've declined those invitations because I never wanted this to feel like actual work. Now, I don't know what the future is going to hold, so as the show continues to grow and get bigger, bear with me because I'm going to be learning along with you what's going to be best for all of us. So if you have feedback about the show, um, I'd love to hear it. Now, this show is a big one, and when it's all done and edited, it will probably show up as two episodes because I've got Brad Henderson on from Vinegar Syndrome, and this man loves to talk movies and tell stories, which I'm all about. So we're going to be talking about our top five Vinegar Syndrome releases. Get ready for the weird and wild. And because this one's a long show, I'm going to throw in two fake ads tonight. So a bonus fake ad. Nice. All right, let's talk about some of the stuff I've seen in the past week. I'm going to go rapid fire through some TV shows I've seen recently, and then I'll deep dive on one movie that I've seen in the past week. Best thing I saw this week was the fourth season of Netflix's original show, Atypical. Atypical follows the Gardner family as they navigate different situations over the course of four seasons. I just wrapped up season four, which is the final in the series, and I thought it ended really well. The main arc of this series revolves around Sam, the son of the family who's on the autism spectrum as he navigates things like work, school, and his romantic life. The whole cast is really great. Keir Gilchrist is fantastic as the lead, and Michael Rappaport is the dad in this show, and he shows that he can really act when he's not online feuding with NBA stars. I also saw Sex Life. Sex is really just about sex. What's it about for you? They're here. Desire. Feeling desired. Freedom. I haven't felt that way since. Brad, the person who gives you security can't be the same person who gives you the thrill. Billy never even mentioned you. Maybe there's a reason for that. Unless. Unless. Unless you think there's a world in which Brad could give you both. Sex Life is the equivalent of an X-rated soap opera. So if you're looking for a version of Days of Our Lives with nudity, you can find this one on Netflix. It's about a woman who is happily married with two kids, but pines for the sexuality of one of her past flings. It's got everything from orgies to a scene in which a man hangs dong that's more impressive than Dirk Diggler. Like, my wife and I literally paused and rewound this scene a couple of times just to see if we could spot the CGI. It was done really well. This thing's like an elephant trunk. The show is super melodramatic. It's hard to like anybody on the show because they are all scumbags, but it's hot. It's definitely hot. Speaking of hot, my wife started watching The Golden Girls for the first time, which is a show that I had seen an episode or two of, well, home from school when I was little, but had never really paid much attention to. And I have to say, the writing on this show is on point. Tons of laugh-out-loud moments, uh, killer performances from all the ladies, as you by now already know, although Estelle Getty, as the mother, steals the show. Just a very, very well-written sitcom. The movie that I saw this week is called Mag Wheels, and this one's from 1978. Hey, uh, you want a party Friday night? Fantastic! Time 
It's a beach. Hit on each other. Do anything but hit the books. Summer school. You got a big mouth, Wheeler. Uh, would you please go back to your seat? Butt out, Peach. You accusing me? Tomorrow, I've got to get you back in school. You've been expelled. A group of guys in vans and a group of girls in trucks go back and forth in a cycle of stupidity as Anita, a stupid girl who just wanted to lay on the beach, gets caught in the middle of it. Magwheels, also known as summer school for home video, which makes zero sense because the students are just in regular school, was a short-run drive-in film that was later a mainstay on USA's Up All Night block. It feels like a cheesy teen film about kids who like to hang out on the beach all day until it takes an oddly dark turn in the last 20 minutes. Steve, played by John Laughlin, is part of a gang of beach bums who drive around in colorful vans. They also, for some reason, have a pledge, like some kind of fraternity, but they're in high school, so it doesn't really make sense, uh, who seems like he's about 40 years old and they bully him and push him around. We get to see these jocks play frisbee for about three minutes of the first part of the film as they literally just horse around next to the water. Jill is part of her own gang of female beach bums who drive around in colorful trucks. So you got these colorful vans, you got these colorful trucks. They don't like the van boys because the van guys don't know how to park correctly. Anita is the new girl in town and she meets both of these groups while sitting on the beach when she and the rest of these degenerates are supposed to be in class. Steve sees Anita on the beach and takes a liking to her, he flirts with her a little bit, much to the chagrin of his bulldog girlfriend Donna. Most of the rest of the film takes place in and around the Boogie Bowl, a ro like an outside roller rink slash uh, skateboarding park that uh, skaters and other high schoolers just come to hang out at. A lot of the back and forth between the two groups is pretty innocent, aside from Donna trying to run Anita off the road on her way home from work one night. Then about 45 minutes in, Donna decides to really turn things up a notch. During one night at the rink, she calls the police and informs them that Steve is dealing cocaine out of his van. Of course he's not, and when confronted by the cops, he, he's let go. He has some weed, but the cops are like, we don't give a shit about the weed. We, we're looking for some cocaine. So uh, they, they let Steve go, but he's pissed. And he's wondering who the hell called the cops in, and it's put into his ear by Donna that Anita is the one who ratted him out. Now, obviously, Steve is not pleased about this. He and his van crew follow Anita and Jill from their house after Jill picks her up in the truck. So they're driving away in this truck, and Steve and his van crew follow them and pull a Mad Max-style move on Jill's truck to slow them down as one kid jumps from the van into the back of their truck, tosses ropes to the other vans to anchor the truck and stop the ride. They then rip the women out of the truck and attempt to rape them in the middle of the fucking desert. Luckily, they called in the truck gang on their CB radio earlier in the sequence, and the truck girls roll in to save the day. Back in class, a teacher is having a bizarre class discussion the next day about cause and effect and uses rape as the example, which sets off all of the students involved in this thing. Steve, of course, tells Anita to just laugh it off, but instead she and Donna get into it and start an actual fight in class. And Anita is suspended as a result. In a last-ditch effort to provide consequences for the males, the females devise a drag-off, which is sort of a redneck sport in which the trucks line up on one side of a canyon and the vans line up on the other with a rope tying the vehicles together, leading to a vehicular tug-of-war. 
The winners of this drag-off win the prize of pride while the losers wreck their vehicles and are probably dead. Anita doesn't know about this game, Jill set this thing up until it's already started, so she drives out to stop them because she doesn't want anyone dying. Unable to stop the game, she instead hits the gas and launches her dad's station wagon into the canyon in a bizarre suicide attempt. Steve rushes down and pronounces, She's alive! as the van rapists and the truck ladies both celebrate like their favorite baseball team just went up 1-0 in the second inning. And Steve cradles the love of his life that he both almost lost moments ago and almost gang-raped two days before. From a filmmaking aspect, the skill used to create this confusing slice of sleaze was minimal. Shots are static, nothing feels dynamic. There's really only about 45 minutes worth of actual content here. The rest is padded out by long scenes of people skateboarding, playing pinball, or pointlessly running around and dicking around on the beach. Magwheels is a bad film with a frustrating narrative. The van crew is filled with mean-spirited rapists who are never held accountable for their actions, nor is Donna the woman who sparked all of this insanity. The director presents perhaps the most morbid, happy ending that I've ever seen on film, as a woman who just tried to end it all is held by the man who sicked his entire gang of rapists on her, as a song that calls her out by name swells over the credits. At the same time, it's hard to feel bad for Anita, who says Steve is, quote, not that bad, after an attempted rape, when Jill calls him out for being a total piece of shit. Maybe if Anita had died at the end, the crew would have seen that there are consequences to their actions, but... As it is, like, what happens after they drag Anita out of this canyon? She dates the rapist and her dad fucking murders her for destroying the family car? The most interesting part of this film is the female truck gang, and we simply don't get enough of them on screen. One of them shows up to stop the gang rape and beats the shit out of the guys using karate moves. Of course, she's the Asian one in the group. I wanted more of that actress. She was fascinating. Magwheels is sleazier than your typical teenage beach 70s hangout movie. It's hard to recommend this though, even to the most ardent viewers of Grindhouse Drive-In Cinema. It's mean-spirited, chauvinistic, and utterly stupid. Right now, everyone is really pissed at this douchebag billionaire Jeff Bezos for somehow avoiding taxes while piloting a dick-shaped spaceship a few miles up into the atmosphere as his employees continue to deliver packages here on Earth while pissing in bottles for minimum wage. And I say, yeah, be mad at this piece of shit. But space travel isn't all bad. And there's a company that's innovating in space while paying their taxes and doing nothing wrong. And that's today's sponsor, the Wayland Corporation. This summer, while you were putting solar panels on your roof, they were putting solar panels in space. And now they're debuting their newest Android project, the David 8. David's talents are limitless, but it's probably best to hear it straight from the robot's mouth. What can you do, David? I can do almost anything that could possibly be asked of me. I can assist your employees. I can make your organization more efficient. I can carry out directives that my human counterparts might find distressing or unethical. Head to the Wayland Corporation website and enter the promo code PROMETHEUS for a free David trial and bring home your first Android today. Mine is sitting next to me right now. He makes me dinner, beats my ass in chess, and tells me I'm pretty, just like a real-life friend should do. The David 8. Technological, physical, emotional. Hey, uh, David, please get Brad from Vinegar Syndrome on the line. Thanks, buddy. (music) 
Welcome back to the Force 5 podcast. Over the last year, I've talked a lot about Vinegar Syndrome releases, and I've gotten a bunch of requests to have somebody from Vinegar Syndrome on the show. So needless to say, I'm really excited to introduce today's guest, Vinegar Syndrome's Brad Henderson. How's it going, Brad? Good, good, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on the show. Happy to be here and talk about movies and BS and, you know, whatever, whatever else. Yeah, it's going to be a good show. We got a lot of cool movies to talk about. Uh, but first off, why don't you kind of tell us what you do for Vinegar Syndrome? Yeah, no, I um, I, I mainly uh, work uh, acquisitions, um, you know, acquiring new films um, hunting down rights, hunting down, uh, film material. And then, um, I'm, I, I, one of the main producers for special features and, you know, these documentary type style, uh, uh, long <laughs> interviews we do. I mean, we've mainly been bunching them up and creating one piece now, rather than, you know, having 10 interviews on a disc. Um, but yeah, no, no, that's kind of that's that's what I do uh, mainly, and yeah, I, it's it's a blast, and I I, I love doing it. Um, you know, I, I I love having people watch movies that you know I've loved for a very very long time, and um, it's it's neat to you know acquire a film that you know, for example, stuff like Fatal Exam and and winter beast and the fear um and you know something like um you know recently we did like through the fire aka gates of hell 2 like those films i mean i i've watched you know from the time i was a little kid and 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 bringing those to light and and back out there into the public eye and having people watch them and whether they don't enjoy them or not i get to live kind of vicariously through them um you know, in their experience and in, in their reviews or, or whatever they say about them. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy the negative reviews. I enjoy the positive reviews. Uh, I, I just want people to see these movies, you know, and not everybody's going to like everything, you know, it's, I'm pretty easygoing when it comes to stuff. There isn't too much that I dislike, you know, uh, more things that I dislike now or, or more recent films than stuff that's older i always i always tell people i just think most like I, if you look at my ratings like on letterbox everything's like my highest ratings like 2.5 just because i think most movies are just okay like i don't think things are that terrible you know i i try to find some enjoyment out of something um but yeah no no it's just a fun it's just a fun thing to do before we get into the movies congrats on releasing your app the Vinegar Syndrome app is in stores now, and so now yep. you can shop for your VS releases wherever you are. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, no, that's gonna be a it's that's gonna be a fun thing. I mean, I I'm not uh, one of those creators behind that. Um, I love I love that it exists. Um, you know, we we it's it's you know even though Vinegar Syndrome is an extremely small company, we all still kind of like have our hats and what we focus on. Uh, so I, I, you know, with, with the app, I don't know if I'll be able to answer any questions about it, you know, <laughs> the movie. Sure. But yeah, no, it's, it's kind of neat because, you know, even, you know, we're, we're small and I, I enjoy what we do. There's always those, I even get surprises every once in a while, 
you know, it's like, oh shit, we're doing that. That's great. Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just fun. I'm just so in, in so deep with acquisitions and, and producing. That's all I, that's all I do, you know, is just acquire stuff and then try to get interviews and whatnot and then move on to the next project. So I keep, I keep pretty busy. Yeah. I imagine that you do. Um, tons of stuff releases each month for Vinegar Syndrome. So now everybody has access to that app. You can go check it out. By the time this airs, uh, it's going to be in the App Store. So you can browse that stuff while you're listening to us talk about Vinegar Syndrome releases. Um, Brad, just to get a kind of a sense of your taste, what are some of your favorite movies that are not in the Vinegar Syndrome catalog? Yeah, no, I mean, I dude, I love, I love so much. I, I love, I love everything. Um, it's, it's really hard for me to, to choose a, a, you know, like, I don't know. I've loved movies and cinema for so long that, you know, I, I I like, you know, silent films. I, I, I love black and white films. I love foreign musicals. I love Russian cinema. Um, I love, you know, absolutely nihilistic sleaze fest films, uh, you know, films from Korea, films from Japan. I mean, just everything you can imagine. I just, I love, but I mean, some of my all time favorites is, um, uh, I mean, probably, uh, Louis Mao, uh, um, elevator to the gallows from what was that? 1958. I think it was. Yeah. Um, you know, young girls of Rochefort by, uh, Demi, um you know the shining of course uh messiah of evil uh directed by you know what's his name william Duck and gloria katz um so john carpenter's assault on precinct 13 uh phantasm you know the 1978 dawn of the dead uh Brad Siberling's Moonlight Mile with Dustin Hoffman and and Susan Sarandon and Jake oh, yeah. Gyllenhaal um you know, Detroit Rock City, Raiders of Atlantis, Class of 1999, uh, Buffalo 66, The Sentinel by uh, Michael uh, Michael Winner. Yeah, it just it's just all over the place. I would say those are like my top like top movies of all time. Um, so yeah, but I mean, it's just it, I if it's a movie, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it. Like I really don't I don't say no to anything either. Like I'm. I'm very open to just because I like so much, you know, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I really strive in horror and stuff just because that's what I grew up on. And that's what one of the things I'm probably most knowledgeable on um, and have kind of, you know, I've written about movies quite a bit. I've studied movies. I, you know, of course did uh, the whole film school thing Um you know, I got really into lost films and film history. I'm, you know, I'm really big on, uh, yeah, no, it's just, I, I'll read endlessly about movies and still try to keep that social life. <laughs> Huge, uh, span of your tastes, which is awesome. And you can see that, I think with the acquisitions that you've probably helped on in the, the Vinegar syndrome catalog. So let's get into the list. You know what's going to happen? Top five vinegar syndrome releases. 
So have that app open, get ready to buy some of these things. My number five, we're going back to 1973 for the Candy Snatchers. Hell yeah. We'll take it. It started as a simple crime, the Candy Snatchers. For them, it was a new beginning. For her, it was the beginning of the end. Three losers who wanted to lead the good life. The Candy Snatchers. They'd do anything to get there. Please don't put me back in the hole! The Candy Snatchers. They were rough on candy. They were rougher on themselves. I love this film. Uh, Directed by Gordon Trueblood. Uh, For those of you who haven't heard of The Candy Snatchers, it's about this... uh, these three low lives and they're traveling around in a van. They kidnap this girl named Candy to extort diamonds from her father who runs this jewelry store. Now, for most parents, this is like a nightmare and you'd be filling bags with diamonds just right there, ready to make this exchange. But unfortunately for Candy, her dad is like, you can have her. <laughs> I don't even like her. And things kind of just unravel from there. Candy Snatchers is a very well-made exploitation grindhouse movie. Uh, feels like shades of Last House on the Left. And the last 15 minutes of this movie are fucking insane. The script, really well written. The story takes these twists and turns that just doesn't go the way you think it's going to go. And the actors are all really, really great. And you're going to hear me say this about any Vinegar Syndrome release, but the picture on this thing looks fantastic. Restored in 4K from the 35mm original negatives. Plenty of interviews, audio commentary, the extras are great. This is a a movie that people had talked about for years online, and there was just no way to see it. I remember hearing about it like in the mid-2000s, no way to see this thing. Uh, Even on YouTube, you couldn't even like watch a a shitty VHS rip. Now you you got this awesome big get for this label. It's one of the movies that kind of clued me into Vinegar Syndrome, the Candy Snatchers, awesome movie. Yeah, no, it's 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 a movie that um, you know I I I really love. Um, I was very very excited when we uh, you know acquired that picture, um, just because it's 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 a it's a really it's a sleazy, it's mean, but there's also this weird charm behind it, um, and it's just like even though these are like awful people, you tend to really like them at the same time, and there is they they have these weird like waves of morality even though they're shitty people um i I think it's just a really really like really well made um film in 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 general and it's a very tight script it's a very tight movie uh you know uh, gordon trueblood did uh did an um an interview uh for us uh he's since passed away actually uh mr trueblood died um earlier this year um which was uh pretty sad but he he was he was one of those um like true hollywood dudes um even though he didn't do a ton he was one of those super behind the scenes guys he got you know jaws three off the ground and and shit like that like that's that was what he did um you know and and worked a lot in in television he only directed a few films but he was a ghostwriter uh for the most part um 
I don't think I, he, he told me not to tell what movies he ghost wrote, but um, I will abide by his wishes. But when he was telling me the films that he ghost wrote, I was blown away and couldn't believe it. But I mean, that's what he was hired to do. And it, uh, I think it really shows in candy snatchers that that script is super tight. It's not a big surprise that he was behind a lot of these scripts and, and doctored him up. I was surprised by the cinematography in this too. Like it's really, really well shot, especially yeah, for Bob Maxwell. Yep. Maxwell did this one really awesome, which is funny. I'm, I'm glad actually you went first because my film is a film that was made directly right after this one with somewhat of the same crew, which is the severed arm. Brace yourselves. It's happening again. That same sense of horror. That same moment of silence before death explodes. No one can stop him. No one can escape him. A bludgeoning fury, no longer human, creating a nightmare of blood again and again. His trail, a cloud of terror. His trademark, the severed arm. Starring Deborah Wally. He's already killed two men. He's mutilated a third. Now, what the hell do you want, lady? We thought for sure I was next. You know he's not uh -huh. next. That's why I'm carrying one of these. Whoever it is is in the building with you. It's a cave-in! Which is uh, one of my favorite films of all time. So I was just over the moon when we actually acquired this. And, you know, it's one of those films that was known to be in quote-unquote public domain for a very, very long time. Um, but it wasn't, you know, it, 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 it was not, uh, it was just that it was owned by MGM and they just didn't really stop, I guess, <laughs> the public domain packs and stuff of this being released on multiples like sets and everything from, um, I think Mill Creek did, did it quite a bit. I know Diamond Entertainment released it on DVD. It was something that you could find on bootleg DVDs for a while. Um, but yeah, it was just a film that I, I grew up with and it, the severed arm is very important to me because it, it wanted, it made me want to become a filmmaker. Um, so yeah, I mean, this was made back to back, uh, you know, it even has Vince Portano in it, who, who's in Candy Snatchers. He's obviously in the severed arm. Uh, you know, Candy Snatchers was produced by, uh, Gary Edelman who produced the severed arm as well. Uh, and, and candy snatchers. Uh, so yeah. And, and of course shot by Bob Maxwell, who is, you know, Bob got late into the game of shooting movies. He died at a young age in his fifties. He died shortly after this, these movies were made like in like the late later seventies, like 78 or something like that. Um, but yeah, Bob Maxwell, he was, uh, he was one of probably the greats and he probably would have, if he started off earlier and lived to be a little bit longer, I'm sure we would have seen some other wonderful films uh, shot by Mr. Maxwell. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, the severed arm is, is just one of those films where, yeah, it's that proto slasher type film. Um, but when I first saw it, I was really into slasher films and, and I mean, I still love slasher films. And so I watched it and not knowing really what it was. And I, I saw it at a very young age. I would say I was like maybe like 11 or 12 when I first saw The Severed Arm. And I was just blown away by how, one, creepy it was, along with, two, 
like we're not actually killing people per se we're chopping off their arm and i was just really like it of course they would die from the arm being chopped off and i said that's such a <laughs> like cool idea like and and you know it's and it turns out to be more like this psychological thing in the background which a lot of people don't talk about is there's this really psychological aspect to the severed arm and it ends in a very like weird way not that you would expect uh for 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 the film um as well it just it has so many different surprises and it has a really great cast uh and and it's all older people too which is which is kind of uh fun to see usually in slasher films it's you know your young bunch or your college batch kids you really don't have many slasher films where it takes place killing like full-grown adults um and and i like that i i think that brings a different element to the film i mean you think about any film there's usually kids that are getting slaughtered. A couple of adults here and there maybe trying to save the day or they're a neighbor of yeah. the nearby house that's getting attacked. But there's not too many slasher films where the killer is going after uh, adults. You know, um, I mean, I can't really think of many other than like My Bloody Valentine, which even though that in My Bloody Valentine, everybody's an adult, uh, they still act like kids. <laughs> <laughs> in that movie you have to keep reminding yourself like these are like like mining people they're coal mining people <laughs> trying to have a party it's so weird because they're like adults trying to figure out how to have a party on valentine's day it's just like that, that, that movie is so wonky in itself but yeah you know i like the idea of the severed arm and someone getting revenge and and going through the trauma and pain of having their arm you know chopped off right before they're saved and they don't want that to happen <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's just, it's this great film and, you know, I, I'm a, I, uh, you know, big historian on the film too. I I've interviewed, uh, you know, as I, as I got older, I, I tried to search these people out and talk to them on the disc. We only have an interview, I think by, uh, Edelman and, uh, Vince Portano, but through the years I have talked, spoken to since passed away, uh, you know, actors, and then also a couple people that just didn't want to be involved. You know, a big one is uh, David Cannon, who plays the lead um, in the film. Uh, he his story is a little unique. He actually stopped. Uh, he stopped acting um, after this after this film, um, and this is his only movie uh, that he's ever done. Uh, he set out to be an actor. Um, he produced the film as well. Uh, he gave. Um, an undisclosed amount of money in order to get it done. And the film just completely tanked uh, and just sent him the opposite direction of wanting to make movies. It made him stop being a filmmaker in general and completely do something else just because he was so angry at this film, not making any money. And also just uh, after it's, run it didn't like i said it wasn't successful it wasn't until later on when they were billing it years later with other films you know it got re-released you know like a year or two later as like double bills and triple bills at the at the drive-in and then it gained popularity and started making money but he wasn't seeing any of that because the film has already exchanged hands um so that even made him even angrier 
So David Cannon wants nothing to do with this movie. And I've, I've spoke to him numerous times about it. And he knows that I'm like this massive fan of the movie. And I think it's, it's one of the most important unseen <laughs> movies to exist from the seventies in the slasher genre. I, I still think it, it's, it's some, it does so many things that just normal movies don't do around that time. Um, and it's shot incredibly well. Uh, it's, it, it's it's incredibly well lit. It has one of the like weirdest scores too. Like the score is just it's insane. It's almost like childlike at the same time. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a very unique project, a unique movie, and very important. Um, and I'm sure this inspired a lot of people uh, to make movies once they saw it at the drive-in, uh, like in you know yeah. 74, 75, a couple years after it was released. It's just it's just a very important movie and and I hope more people watch it. I I honestly I think sometimes you know with with people that watch I, the I, the best decade of movies is the 70s. I agree. You know, it's it's just it's this undulterated like just just time where they were trying new things. You know, the 80s were too much of like inspired by stuff from the 70s. Like the 70s were pure like just creativity and and it's it's the best years of cinema and the reason why we have these great movies in this 80s and 90s is because of the seven you know 70s um but yeah it's just it's just one of those important movies but i i think honestly people are really into like 80s and 90s stuff and they when they see the 70s they may think it's too old but it, it's not it's just it, it's really this perfect decade um and this and this film is just way way before it's time good pick uh great setup for this film too like you said it's about older folks and i know we kind of touched on the setup but it's it's about these you know six people that are trapped in this cave and they draw straws to see who's gonna eat somebody because they're starving and they cut off one guy's arm and that's the person who's coming back to seek revenge on them it's like a really unique really great setup and uh I agree. I did not know what to expect when I, when I received the severed arm because it sounds like like one of those old uh, like '30s movies, like the the hand with with five fingers or whatever. Right? Yeah, you think like the arm's gonna come back and kill people, and it's yep. it's, it's weird exactly. because it's like you know, yeah, that's that that's what you that's what you think, and and uh, you know, it's just it's just bizarre. That's kind of like the the direction it went, and also the the other cool thing about this is that um this was actually i i mentioned messiah of evil uh prior as one of my favorite films uh Fillion bishop who composed this actually composed messiah of evil um as well uh in 1973 hmm. um which messiah of evil was actually made in 71 and not released till 73 but yeah it's just he he was he he passed away in the in the early 90s but um yeah, he was very unique as far as like using this kind of like xylophone esque type uh, instruments. Just a very childlike and playful, but gives it this very ominous and creepy sound. Great pick. That's the severed arm, which you can pick up right now. And uh, they still have the slipcover available for those of you who like to collect that. Yeah, and it's not about an arm. <laughs> I th honestly, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's the other thing. I think arm. it's yeah. People think it's a killer arm, and that sounds boring. It really does. 
Um, but yeah, no, it's a it's a slasher film just before slashers were a thing. My number four is one that I know for a fact you are super proud of uh, releasing. And this was one of those old HBO slash TNT classics for me when I was growing up as a kid in the 80s. And that is 1982's The Beastmaster. It was foretold by witches. It was conceived through sorcery. And it was to be destroyed by all that is evil. But the courage of one mortal saved it. And so, into an age of darkness, in a time of mysticism, sacrifice, and plunder, there came the only light, the Beastmaster. Born with the strength of a black tiger, the courage of an eagle, the power that made him more than any hero. More than any lover. He was lord and master over all beasts. He was the beast master. Oh, this one is so good. It's the first Vinegar Syndrome Ultra title. I I had to include one of these because the overall package is just insane. And I'll get to that in a second. Traditionally, I'm not really a fan of the sword and sorcery films, but this one. Same here. Oh, yeah. This one, you you know, you you just loved as a kid. Uh, It's about Mark Singer plays this uh, character named Dar, the son of a king. Uh, He's hunted by a priest after his birth. So his parents send him to grow up with another family. Of course, when he becomes a grown man, his new father is murdered, and uh, Dar discovers that he has the ability to communicate with animals. And after that, he begins his quest for revenge in what feels like a Conan story. But it's great. Um, Really, really fun animals. You've got ferrets, uh, tigers that are painted black. You got eagles, magic, witches, swordplay. All the special effects that you'd expect that just still hold up to this day. Like, they still just, it's so fun. And on this Ultra package, which is in 4K, by the way, which is amazing, you have a ton of extras. If I if I listed off all the extras, we'd be here forever. But commentaries, outtakes, even old home movies, like all kinds of stuff. And the box is incredible. You have to be super proud of this box. Like, limited edition, magnet clasp. Uh, exclusive cover and a book, like a 40 page book. If you're hearing about this just now, you're out of luck because the set was limited. But if you like Beastmaster and you still want a copy, there's still a regular edition available. And if you still want a taste of the VSU's Six String Samurai is available. That was the second release for VSU. But wow, Beastmaster, such a good release. And I'm sure a ton of people watched that in their childhood. This has to be one that you love. It's funny because I have a weird relationship with that movie is that it was a film that I watched consistently when I was younger. Um, I, I just I love the I, I'm a big animal lover. So I just like the idea that I, someone was able to, you know, communicate with animals. Um, and I'm not a big sword and sorcery uh, fan I, or sword and sandal like type thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the sorcery, too. But um, yeah, no, it, it's a film that I in, in enjoy. I don't think it's great. It's just a film that I, 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 it's just like a party movie 
Like you can watch it with your friends and family. You can show it to your little kids. Like, well, I mean, there's nudity. I don't know if you want to do that, but (laughs) (laughs) I I wasn't really censored when I was little. So I have this like kind of warped idea of what you could show children. Um, But yeah, no, I, I I really love, uh, I'm a huge Don Coscarelli fan. And, and one of the reasons why I like the movie so much is, uh, you know, or I not, I guess like it so much. The, one of the reasons why I was drawn to it was because it has so much horror mixed in. And when I was younger and I found out the guy that created phantasm, like one of my favorite all time horror films, I was just very drawn to know what he was doing, you know, what else he was doing aside from, you know, these other phantasm films. So, yeah, no, I was I was very excited. Um, That was one of the films that I was, uh, um, you know, very much trying to go after. And it was a very, very long uh, process. And uh, when we did, I was I was very excited. But uh, (laughs) the production side of that, putting together the interviews and I mean, we're we're talking months, months and months. And And it got really you know, we got, I got pretty deep on it. You know, I, honestly, I, every living person aside from like Rip Torn, of course he's passed away. We interviewed, you know, there, there, there yep. wasn't anybody that we, we missed um, as far as like production is concerned. I mean, we had, of course, Mark, you know, John Amos, Tanya Roberts, uh, Josh Milrad, um, you know, it, it, all the kind of the key players. I mean, and then Don and Paul, doing a uh, commentary, uh, a new commentary on the film moderated by Joe Lynch, um, who is a huge uh, fan of the film. And I'm, you know, good friends with Joe. And I immediately called him up and I was like, I know how much you love the film and how, you know, I I just knew he would be perfect uh, for, you know, being a part of it. And, you know, we had Frank uh, Isaac, who is uh, instrumental in like behind the scenes. Uh, You know, he's assistant producer along with Paul. Um, you know, Lee Holdridge, um, uh, trying to think, uh, Betty, Betty Madden, who did the, all the costume design. It was just, it, it was a very like lengthy process. Even Jeremy Honak, who did the sound design, uh, on the film we interviewed, it was just because we were working with him with Killer's Delight. That was, uh, that was just, you know, we, we were working on, I, I mean, I worked with on killers of light for about a year and a half. Um, oh, wow. so I, I knew Jeremy very well and, and Jeremy, uh, even though he's only directed killers delight, he worked in sound design for years and he's like incredible at getting these weird fucking noises in movies and um you know his horror films and stuff like that he was he was one of the big guys yep. in sound design um and now he works in real estate and children's books uh <laughs> at this point in time but yeah we were working on killer's delight um already around the beastmaster time and um i was like oh shit you know this would be cool if you you know did this interview but yeah it's just in a boonar who did the you know animal training in the film, uh, you know, it was just a, it was just long, 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 long process. Um, but worth it. You know, I was, I was really excited. Uh, everybody that was in the film, uh, was very passionate about it aside. Uh, you know, le- learning Dawn's nightmares he had with the film, which we don't really like 
stray away from in the doc, you know, we kind of go into detail about how he hated like what happened and kind of, you know, had a strong, like almost distaste for the movie at times. Um, uh, but yeah, no, it was, uh, it was, but it was a fun process. Don was such is Don is incredible. He's, he's, he's nice. Um, he's, he's very thankful. Uh, You couldn't ask for, you know, when you do these things, the cooperation from people, um, you know, uh, saying yes is one thing, but he kind of went above and beyond, you know, um, you know, supervising the, the, the transfer, the, you know, the color, uh, you know, along with Paul, Paul is just, uh, Paul, like Paul is one of the main, like one of the only producers that I've spoken to that was just so in it. Like, you know, he, he, I can't believe he didn't have a bigger career as far as producing. Cause he's such a hands-on guy and knows exactly what the fuck is going on. Like he's, he's incredible. He's very smart too. He's very, very, very smart. And yeah, no, having them on board and being involved and championing everything. And, um, you know, it, it was, it was so funny, uh, you, you know, kind of reuniting Mark and, and Dawn at the same time, because, you know, I, I reached out to Mark myself and, uh, Mark was very, very happy to do it. Everybody was, you know, it was just, it was just so great. And, and the crazy part is it was all done during the very, very crucial times during COVID. Yep. Um, and you know, in that, we didn't slow down on our releases, so we had to be incredibly careful and so many different protocols that I had to implement because we're not a we're not a like big business. You sure, know, we have sure. to handle this ourselves. So, you know, obviously, most of the people that we're dealing with are older, you know, they're 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 60 and above, you know, sometimes even older than that. So you know, having that happen and, and, you know, uh, trying to keep the production going, keeping people safe. It was a long process because we, we took time and, and, and care and LA was very bad at the time. And I think probably 80% of these interviews were done in LA County. Um, so yeah, we just, I, we needed to be very, very careful during that time. As you can see, most interviews are outside um you know that was one of the big things having all interviews outside uh having our videographers wear masks the entire time of course the talent didn't have to because that would look weird if they were on camera you can even see betty madden's mask down by her neck (laughs) you know she just pulled it down uh for the interview um and it was also betty madden's first interview which was which was sweet she was very very thankful because she's one of those old hollywood you know, ladies that was in big in costume design. Um, and I, I knew, I knew Betty for a while because, uh, I was putting together a book for class in 1999 and she was the, she's the costume designer in that movie. And oh, wow. it's literally her best work in one of her first like big projects working just by herself, uh, without any help. Um, which she did that on this too. Um, but she was, she was so funny. She's like, what costume design? I just threw a loincloth over some penis. <laughs> um, and, uh, but yeah, no, she's, she's a sweet lady, but yeah, it was, it was a really tough, uh, thing because, you know, I don't want to risk anybody's life for a fucking interview for a Blu-ray, <laughs> yeah, you know, no how, how silly is that shit? 
Um, so yeah, it was, it was, you know, we took very, very good care, uh, lots of precautions, uh, lots, just, we were very aware of it and it was very, it was nerve wracking. What was it, what, it, you know, is what it was down to. So it was just, it was just tough, but it was fun. You know, I even did some of the, inter- shot at some of the interviews myself. Uh, you know, John Amos was actually in Florida, uh, shooting a movie, um so he was like he was like yeah on my day off i'll just come by just come by my hotel and we'll shoot there and that's what i did and i got to hang out hang out with john amos for a day um the same thing with boon nar boon nar lives like an hour away from me and um he, he just I, I went to he just said come to my house and we'll hang out and i it was just amazing I mean, this guy, uh, it was, it's so funny when you do these things because like, why don't we make a documentary about you? <laughs> you know, it's like, like Boon Nar is one of the most notable and highest paid animal wranglers in the business because he was the best, you know, no animals were ever harmed, no animal deaths, which I got to at least lay that to rest with a Beastmaster because there's a lot of talk about how the tiger was abused um and whatnot and uh, that never happened that was Boonar's personal tiger and um it was in many other films and lived on his ranch for years until you know it passed away from natural causes um but yeah Boonar even has dogs uh two two dogs that he has in the house were his movie dogs um so yeah it's most of the animals that he uh was a wrangler uh the the uh his team would take home after they were retired like if he felt they were a little too old and you know they were at risk uh somebody in the company uh one of his many people they would adopt the animals and i just thought that was the sweetest thing you know they weren't putting them down they weren't selling them off they were literally taking care of them themselves and i and he had a whole ranch and basically they had an area for animals that they couldn't take home, like horses and whatnot, they had just a huge ranch for the retired animals. And um, that's what they would do. They would go out there and they had a home for the animal. And I was just like, this is amazing. Like, this is so fucking cool. Like, you don't really, I mean, obviously we had to stay on topic for Beastmaster, but, you know, it's to me, I get to talk to him about all this crazy stuff. And, you know, I ask him lots of questions because I'm I'm one of the very first ones to ask questions about the animals. <laughs> you know, I, it's just yeah, like, yeah. you know, what what about, you know, I mean, I understand like there's animals killed on screen in other countries and stuff like that. I'm not I'm not, you know, one of those people that goes against that. I just know how things are. But I always want to know, like, you know, I heard a lots of stories on Andre Norton, the writer of uh the beastmaster i think even um uh was going around saying that the animal like two of the animals were killed or or something like that and just it was just you know rumors start somewhere um but yeah no it's uh bunar's an amazing person everybody was so amazing tanya was super sweet you know it's uh it was a shame because she passed away shortly after we interviewed her oh yeah that's right and she looked great i mean she she was very healthy and, and, you know, it's just, you, life's so fragile, man. You just don't know when it's going to snatch you up. Um, but yeah, no, it's, um, I, I had a lot of fun putting that, uh, package together and we, we just had a great team. Elijah Drenner, uh, edited the thing. Him and I work closely together all the time. Um, you know, he's, he's an amazing editor. Uh, he, he, 
I, I don't understand how he does it sometimes because I just give him like hours and hours of <laughs> interviews and then he comes up with this, you know, like 80 minute documentary type thing. And, you know, we, we, we tweak it. He lets me see it in like, inter- you know, chapters and I give my notes and then, you know, he'll we'll have a discussion about it. He's actually really great with that. You know, he 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 lets me have my creativity and I can tell him when I think he needs to change something. And then he tells me if I'm wrong with wanting to change something. <laughs> so we have a really, really wonderful um, working relationship. Uh, he also did the six string samurai doc as well, which that was just a, another probably uh, I'll be on your show again. <laughs> we'll talk about how crazy <laughs> the six string samurai uh, com- or, uh, documentary was. That was insane. The care that you guys put into the Beastmaster set really shines through. Uh, it is amazing, and every piece of this package was amazing. And apparently it sold well, because all 10,000 copies of the original VSU sold out. So congratulations yeah, on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have that, you know, like that original. And the, the other cool thing I, I guess I'll add is that uh, there was a couple things that we were able to add um, that from, you know, cause the, th- the thing that sucked a little bit about the production side of thing is that, you know, obviously a lot of these people were older when they made it. Um, so, uh, you know, the, one of the masters, of cinematography, John Alcott shot this movie, um, you know, and he, he, he's, you know, been passed away for a bit. Yeah. So it was kind of nice to have, um, you know, there, there's a spot in that documentary where Don goes into great detail about how, how wonderful Alcott, um, was, I mean, you know, (laughs) it's, it's funny because I don't think people like look at Alcott of knowing that this was, you know, Stanley Kubrick's, <laughs> you yeah, know, the shining. working on Clarkwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, you know, The Shining. Yeah. And yeah. then he does, you know, The Beastmaster, you know, and it even did uh, Terror Train right after <laughs> The Shining. And, uh, you know, one of my favorites, Vice Squad. But um, yeah, there's a really nice piece in there about Alcott and about how Alcott basically stood up for Coscarelli. They wanted to fire him. And he and John Alcott apparently went to the producers, uh, you know, not not Paul Pepperman, but, you know, the, the the financiers and said, if you get rid of Coscarelli, I'll I'll walk. Um, and that's actually what kept Coscarelli's job was John Alcott, um, because he really liked Don, even though, you know, it's it was just this very troubled production at times. And then the cool thing was, is, you know, we, we always try to find so many people from, you know, from, from, from the film. And, uh, one of the big ones, you know, IMDb and uh, the internet doesn't update deaths too well. Uh, sometimes people, they'll say people are dead and they're not. And other times they seems that they're still alive and they're not. Well, uh, Conrad Agone, um, who was, uh, the production designer for the film. Um, he, he passed away, uh, just actually a few years ago. And, you know, he is the set builder for this movie. He is, you know, the guy that drew the pictures a lot, along with um, uh, uh, Nikita Nance, who who uh, did a lot of the drawings, you know, for for, you know, the people to, to create these monsters and whatnot. And, um, you know, I, I was searching for Conrad and I ended up calling his daughter 
uh, because I was trying, I couldn't find this, I couldn't find him. And eventually I just called this number and it's his daughter. And I, I talked to her and she said, you know, my dad passed away years ago. And I said, Oh, you know, I'm very sorry to hear that. Um, and I, I, I said, I, I don't want this to sound insensitive, but do you have anything from the Beastmaster? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, yeah, she's like, I have all his drawings and I have all the pictures and all the, those pictures that you see in that booklet are actually from her. That's cool. Um, and and uh, just stuff that she had from her father. And even in the documentary, you know, with the fadeaways and transitions, like those pictures are, you know, the scans of her father's work. So, you know, she was instrumental in, in putting, you know, helping facilitate some of that. Um, we were just very, very happy to have, you know, him, uh, you know, have his work in in this and uh, honestly some never before seen stuff too um but yeah no it was, it was a great project to put together and just really really fun and you know i'm glad it was i'm glad it was over but it was <laughs> i was i was so proud of that set and proud of what we what we did and and we did it safely bar none one of the coolest uh packagings for a blu-ray that i've ever seen so definitely worth a look number four for you my friend Oh, uh, I I thought I was talking about the. I, I forgot that I need to stop talking as much. I apologize. Um, so uh, another one of my favorites, uh, you know, along with the severed arm, I, I was actually looking into getting into distribution uh, years ago, years before I even heard about vinegar syndrome and they started. I was wanting to do this because I liked the idea, like I said, of turning people on to films that. Um, that I feel that are underseen and in need more appreciation. Uh, the severed arm was actually one of those. I was looking for the rights. I knew it wasn't public domain. Um, it was just really, you know, it was hard to track down, but then I got into pricing and how much it would cost to do this <laughs> and do it right. I was like, I was looking at it and I was like, I can't afford this. Like if this thing bombs, I'll be in debt. Right. Like I, I can't spend, I just can't pull out like 30 grand and, you know, release one movie. Like what the hell am I doing? (laughs) Uh, But yeah, there is, there is uh, a couple films I was looking at. And the other one is house of the dead from 1978 directed by Sharon Miller, who uh, written by David O'Malley, who both did interviews, uh, audio interviews, I think for, for the disc. Um, This was when I was kind of doing side work for vinegar syndrome. Um, And it's actually one of the films that got me into working for them because I was a I was a beta tester for exploitation TV because I was I was very friendly with VS. I was doing, you know, uh, 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 reviews on their discs uh, for a couple sites, uh, you know, when they very kind of first started. And um, I was very friendly with James and Brandon. And they said, do you want to do a beta test? You know, we're going to launch this exploitation exploitation tv which is of course now done gone and i said sure um so you know they just said watch some of the movies on there make sure they play blah 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 so they had some stuff on there that wasn't available to the public yet because it was in still beta mode but they were they had you know prints of films that they had in their in 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 storage so they just they just scanned them and threw them up on the uh, thing just to to watch, to make sure, you know, to have some content and other stuff, not, you know, available to the public, you know, of course, illegally or anything like that. Yeah. Um, well, they had the severed arm in the house of the dead. And when I saw those, 
I, I immediately, you know, because I, I was just doing reviews at the time. And I saw those and I said, hey, are you, are, are you doing House of the Dead? And, you know, uh, Severed Arm. And they said, no, not yet. You know, we're, we're looking into it. And I said, well, you know, if you do House of the Dead, like I, I, I want to be, I want some type of, you know, hands, <laughs> hands in, in doing that. I was like, that's, that's, you know, there, there's a couple films that molded me as who I am. And the House of the Dead is one of them. I know that's a weird movie to, to choose, but it was just, it was something I saw at a very young age and I was just completely obsessed with it. And I thought a couple of the segments were really, really scary. Um, but yeah, uh, House of the Dead, 1978. Um, it says it's rated PG, but movie has some teeth. Uh, <laughs> another film that was known to be in public domain, but obviously uh, uh, wasn't. But it has uh, John Erickson, uh, Ivor Francis, Bird Benning. Uh, you know, a couple people that you'll see pop up. But yeah, it's this just anthology um, uh, about uh, a man who's having an affair, who, who uh, basically goes to this mortician, and there's these... You know, of course, people in the uh, coffins, there's four of them. And they, he tells four stories about how, uh, you know, these people died. And, you know, of course, includes the wraparounds. Technically, there's five stories. Uh, but, yeah, it's just this really well done, very creepy, but also somewhat comical at times with some of the stories. But, like, the children uh, wearing clown masks, that was terrifying to me. I, I think I saw House of the Dead uh, when I was like maybe 10 or 11 and and I rented it from video time in Canton, Ohio. And I got home, you know, I got we got back to my grandmother's house and I would watch movies super late at night all the time because we would spend summers in Ohio and my parents would gamble late. So my grandma would just take me to the video store like every like three days and I would rent like three, four movies. Um, and I saw some fucked up shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably super fucked up because I they didn't really care what they had on the shelves. And they had some really probably things they shouldn't have had on the shelf that should have been like in the you know back section. Um, but anyways, uh, I got to see House of the Dead, which is PG, which, you know, there really isn't a lot of gore or anything in the film, but. There's that segment with the kids in the in the mask, and one of them's wearing a clown mask. I'm not really scared of clowns, but just the idea of kids wearing a mask really creeped me out. Um, and it's just like there's that one sequence where the guy is like up against the like bed of needles that's pushing up against the wall, and that fucking kind of fucked me up a little bit. Um, but yeah, I just I I over time I got really really obsessed with this movie and I, and I, it was one of those movies that I, I saw and then like, I loved it and I wanted to see it again. And when we went back the next summer, they didn't have it on the shelf and I couldn't remember like the name of the movie for some reason. I couldn't remember the name and I, you know, we were living of course in Florida and I went to, this video store uh, or it was a chain it was a movie gallery and i went to movie gallery and the movie gallery around us for some reason must have been a franchise because the guy had a lot of horror films but they were like really rare things so he was getting them from somewhere it was it wasn't like a normal video store like just the old you know or the newer movies moved to the middle section like he had some really like deep cuts 
And I was just going through those when I was like probably around 15 or 16 years old. Um, and it was a cut box. Uh, um, for those not familiar, whenever video stores would do it, they would have the big clamshell boxes well to fit. They would just cut out parts of the artwork and then slide into like another clamshell to make it look better, which is can't even tell you how many movies <laughs> have been defaced and artwork has been defaced to fit a fucking clamshell box. But they had the back of the movie in the front and it was that needle sequence. The guy was like up against the wall, like turning and the needles were coming or the nails really not needles nails coming to his face. And he was nails. Screaming. Yeah. I was like, Oh, I was like, Holy shit. That's that fucking movie. And uh, I grabbed it <laughs> and, and I was like, you know, I went up to the counter and, and I was just like really excited. So when you're excited, you just start talking nonsense. And I was like, to the like person, I was like, Hey, I was like, I've been looking, I didn't know this. I, you know, forgot the title of this movie. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I was like, you know, just mouthing off. And it was the guy that owned the place. And he was like, do you want to buy it? And I said, well, yeah. And he goes, I'll sell it to you for $5. And I was like, oh, my God. So I had that tape for the longest time until we released this Blu-ray. But um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I just love House of the Dead. I think it's I think it's genuinely creepy, funny. Um, it's it's really well executed. Um, it kind of has this like really cool stinger uh, at the end. It's it, it's kind of sleazy, but it's not. It just does a lot of different things and also directed by a woman of all, you know, especially in the seventies making anthologies. So that's really rad too. Uh, but yeah, no, it's just this, it's just a killer anthology and it's, you know, it's just underseen and that German artwork that has the hands coming out of the skull where the skulls part of the house, um, which we did that for the slip oh, cover. Yeah. Um, it's just one of the most amazing, it's way better than any artwork that existed for this movie. Because then it was this movie is retitled Alien Zone, yeah, uh, for for a while, uh, and then Twilight of the Dead or something like that at one point, uh, just various different titles. And well, I remember seeing bootlegs of an Alien Zone, and I'm like, what the fuck is Alien Zone? There's got no no Alien Zone in this movie. What is that? It doesn't make any sense. Like House of the Dead, it's a mortuary with dead people. That makes sense all these ridiculous retitles to try to make more money off of a movie. Um, but anyways, yeah. House of the dead is, is one of my favorites, uh, favorite releases we've done. And also one of my favorite movies of all time. I think the, uh, the tagline for it is something about alien zone too, which is really weird. Cause you're right. It doesn't have much to do with aliens. The scene, which you're talking about with the nails, if you like saw, you should watch this just for that segment. Cause it kind of feels like a precursor to saw. Like without the gore. Yeah. So if you like Saw, check out that segment. If you like stuff like Creep Show, just check out the whole movie. It is, um, yeah, it's it's pretty wild. And uh, the clown masks definitely something that will stick stick with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's. Uh, I remember now. It's 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 last stop on Thirteenth Street. That's the other title of the movie. And I was like, at least that makes more sense than Alien Zone. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you're right. The tagline was like something, something, something you, you, God, I can't remember. It was, uh, it was like, welcome to the like, alien zone or you have to pass the alien zone. It's super yeah. Weird. Yeah. No, eventually everyone has, it's like, 
eventually we all have to pass through like dot 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 the alien zone <laughs> it's like dot so dot done. dot what the fuck does that mean <laughs> like, yeah. but yeah no we we don't have a- a- any alien zone shit we have that badass uh german artwork for the film but yeah no i i love i love 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 house for my number three, we're getting into a territory that Vinegar Syndrome hadn't really played in for a long time, and that's the crazy action movie. There were a couple up to this point, but this is my first in the VSA categories. Just one that I discovered when you released it, and it blew me away. Action USA. Oh, hell yeah. See, but Billy Ray was the only one that really knew where the diamonds were. Hey, Billy Ray, Frankenstein's a green. Now you have them, and I want them. Play Oscar. I'm here to help you. Get off of me! Tell him I want the broad back here alive. You've probably heard me review this on this show, but uh, Vinegar Syndrome Archive, it's a line of the VS films that deserve that deluxe treatment, but don't necessarily fall into the normal canon. It's about a drug dealer and his girlfriend, and they're in hot water because there's like this big time gangster that's looking for diamonds. And this drug dealer apparently knows where these diamonds are, but he's gunned down and his girlfriend's put in protective custody to testify as like a star witness. And there's three hitmen hot on their trail. We've got two FBI agents that are trying to keep her safe. Uh, This is a film formula that you've probably seen a million times, but not with stunts this rad. It is like balls to the wall, nonstop action. Stars Gregory Scott Cummins, who was also in another Vinegar Syndrome title that I love, Blood Games, which almost made my list. Uh, But most people are probably going to recognize him as Mac's dad in uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He's amazing. He's a great actor. Film was obviously made on a shoestring budget. Like, you can see stuff like safety harnesses and stunt helmets everywhere. Looks like it was shot on a single block in Texas, but the action... It's insane. The entertainment value of this film is just off the charts. It was directed by a stuntman. We get people hanging outside of helicopters upside down. Cars jump everything. Huge explosions. Like, insane explosions. Bar fights. People flying off of fucking buildings. You get, uh, at at one point, just to, to kind of illustrate how insane the action in this thing is. There's a moment where the station wagon is run off the road in a car chase and drives, literally drives through the corner of a house. And there's this homeowner sitting outside drinking a beer because it's in Texas. And he's like, hey, you just drove through my bedroom. And instead of getting out of the car like a normal human being, you don't even know if he killed somebody in this house. The driver of the station wagon rolls down the window. He says, sorry about your house, buddy. And then he just (laughs) drives away and the house explodes into a million pieces. Like, this is what kind of movie this is. It's insane. Again, if you missed it out on this one, you're out of luck. It was limited to 4,000 numbered units. Uh, but artwork slip look amazing. If you want to watch Action USA, I think MVD put out a copy. But man, this film is insane. And I was so glad you put this out because I saw that like Alamo Drafthouse was running a print of it. And it's like, oh my God, I hope Vinegar Syndrome gets it. And you guys did. I was finally able to see it. And uh, what a what a movie. If you're an action movie fan, you got to track down Action USA. So good. 
Yeah, and it's 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 a it's a super fun movie, and you're right. Yeah, it's directed by um, a stunt guy who's been in the industry and still is in the industry, and who is uh, John's insane. He he really is like literally insane, and he's uh, he's really good at what he does, and uh, he puts himself at risk for for crazy shit. Um, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. So when you have someone who's kind of unhinged like that, that you know puts himself in danger himself and not others you're probably going to get some cool action sequences and that's what you do. And then all, yeah, you're right. The, the cast is insane with, with Gregory Scott Cummings, uh, William Smith, who just passed away, I believe, uh, Ross Hagen, Cameron Mitchell, uh, Hoke Howell, like those guys, like that cast is just crazy. Like so good. I mean, Ron, Ross Hagen is another, just, he's kind of insane too. Um, uh, literally. Uh, but yeah, it's, yep. Drago. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's it's a really, yeah, he plays Drago, yeah. It's just this, you're right, it's just this really unhinged action movie who looks like maybe some people got hurt. Um, but yeah, oh, no, it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, a fun, it's a fun movie. If you can't watch the first scene in Action USA, and if you're not hooked after that first scene, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I guess you just don't like movies. <laughs> so good. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's, it's one of those, it's a big crowd pleaser. That's for sure. Have some friends over, show Action USA, and you'll definitely get a positive response. And if you don't, then you probably need new friends. That's the tagline right there. <laughs> <laughs> to continue this story, please flip your tape over to side B.